Hi everyone, M here. Just real quick, I wanted to say there's some audio trouble in this episode uh, on one of the tracks. Uh, not really possible to edit it out. There was some construction going on, I guess you would say, in the apartment. Uh, shouldn't reappear next episode, but just a heads up. Thanks everyone. <laughs> And welcome to Repertory Screenings, episode 10. I'm your host, and with me are my regular co-host, Jackson. Hello, it's movie time. And and Destiny. Hi! Uh, and we're here with a decade of movie excellence. Yes. <laughs> you can't just not sell it anymore. I know that it's my favorite thing, um, but you have to give me something. What? Wait, what's your favorite thing? Just implying that every episode is a year. <laughs> oh, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, I thought sorry. it was because we have watched movies stretched across the eighties, which are actually six hundred years long. No, I meant I meant that I said we'd been podcasting for a decade. Decade oh, of excellence. I didn't even pick up on the joke. That's why I didn't. I know saw it. Yeah, sorry. Uh, so has anyone watched any movie? I haven't watched a goddamn thing. I watched a movie this morning. What'd you watch? The Art Life. Uh, a documentary about David Lynch's early artistic development. That... You, can get, you can get the art life for $10 a month on uh, Patreon.com. <laughs> 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 uh, let me look up who wrote and directed this really quick, please. David Lynch. No, he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you. Jackson, have you watched anything? I've watched John Wick 1 again, but we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> The movie's really good. It's my okay. take on my take on John Wick One was that it goes on too long, and I don't think the like, I think it like like runs out of steam two thirds way through, and then there's still a big action sequence. Correct. This is all true. The stuff in the clubs, kind of where the action stuff peaks, uh, the character stuff's fine, but it doesn't have any of the things where it gets into this is actually a metaphor for society nonsense with the high table. Um, so it's not as good. <laughs> uh that's fair uh destiny did you find out the information about your movie i'm still looking it up i'm sorry but i guess i will vamp a little longer about john wick but yeah i just ha happened to watch that uh earlier in i still week. i still haven't seen john wick chapter three me and destiny need to do that you should it's yeah, out we do. On Blue right now yeah we yeah. do all right I, it was sorry go ahead <laughs> no we were always vamping for you <laughs> <laughs> david lynch the art life was directed by John Wynn, Rick Barnes, and Olivia Niergaard Holm. And it's just this really revealing documentary. David Lynch is talking about, like, why he creates and what's meaningful to him. And it's kind of shocking. Someone who, like, famously doesn't like to talk about what he does. You know, he gets into some really personal things, like, just... His relationship with his parents and how his dad never, his mother and father never really understood him. And all he wanted to do was smoke cigarettes, drink coffee, and paint. And that's what he's doing. And it, that's what's important to him. Painting and, with cinema. 
Yep. Moving <laughs> paintings. That's how he started cinema in cinema. He was a painter primarily, and then he got super inspired by the idea of moving paintings, and that's what all of his early film experiments were. And he uses a lot of imagery from his childhood and this like traumatic story that he couldn't tell involving one of his old neighbors. And then they moved to Philadelphia when he first got married and there he tells this really crazy story about you know, like have any of you seen his uh early like short films and his paintings? No. I have not. They're kinda like gross and dark and like obsessed with really gross bodily fluids and um crude sort of upsetting figures anyway so like his he shows this to his father who doesn't understand why he can't just get a real job and he like is so excited to show this stuff to his dad and his dad's like david i want you to promise me you'll never have children and like uh, I, I imagine him saying it like Gordon Cole, uh, David. <laughs> I want you to promise me you'll never have children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he really was like so upset. A lot of his life is kind of like I don't know what is. I don't know. They didn't really go into like it ends pretty much after they get to a racer head. So it's really kind of an abrupt ending. But I don't know. Just that alone to me book volumes but anyway good movie it was on the criterion channel i cannot believe it's a it's a gift to creative people it really is the criterion channel that and this documentary oh, the movie? specifically okay. i was gonna say because we've been using it a lot lately so yes it is a <laughs> gift to creative people uh we might as well get into it we for this episode watched the decline of western civilization part two the metal years which is a 1988 documentary uh, directed by Penelope Spheris. That's how you say that, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and we also, all of us, watched The Decline of Western Civilization from 1981, which is about the punk rock scene in 1979, 1980. We'll probably bring that up in the course of this. But this is about uh, metal music during 1986 to 88, I think it is. Yeah. Um, most of the concert footage is from 97, but a lot of the interviews and stuff are from earlier than that. And... Uh, that's what it is. Dusty, why did you pick this one? 87? 87. You said 97. You did say 97. Well, look, it's been a <laughs> morning. <laughs> has it? Oh, yeah, I guess it has. Um, okay, so I picked this because, one, I think Penelope Spears is completely underrated as just like a chronicler of music and musical scenes in a way that I feel like a lot of women aren't associated with. And two, compared to the first movie, it is such a, like, gripping monument to this sort of toxic mas masculinity that, like, pervaded the culture so deeply. And, I don't know, I just wanted to kind of hear what you both would think of it as people who aren't necessarily into metal and into being like aggressive and stereotypically masculine and I don't know it's, it's also just kind of a funny movie and I wanted to kind of pick something a little amusing than usual like we haven't really done anything funny for mm -hmm. this I, show, I think we needed so. a lighter break after talk 
<laughs> yeah, the torque was so heavy. <laughs> it was so heavy. It was deep. It was heavy. Yeah, it was heavy and deep. Um, yeah, I, this movie's hilarious. I was laughing yeah. the whole time. Oh god, it's so funny. It it's funnier than it deserves to be. It's so good. And like, I don't know how much of it. Like everyone in it is so young, and I don't know how much of it is people playing up for the camera or you know genuinely being themselves like i cannot tell and it almost doesn't matter because it's so well put together um i i always i I take it as people playing up not necessarily for the camera though i assume they are also playing up like that most of the time (laughs) um yeah around everyone else yeah there's only one scene that like she has confirmed that she purposely like edited for humor, uh, and it's one of the scenes with Ozzy Osbourne. But I don't know, it's it's just interesting to me. Like, but I also just feel like a lot of the conversations are things that if she wasn't a woman, I don't know if they would have said some of that stuff to her. I don't know. They are pretty willing to. Um say all of it it feels like mm-hmm. but yeah the... uh i'll go ahead oh you go okay um the thing for me is that um like while if i if we had just watched this like in a vacuum just watch this movie i'd be like well this is like just a fucking parody of itself like this is everyone's obviously playing the camera but watching the first movie uh Every like everyone is even younger than in that one, and everyone is deathly earnest about the thing they do. Um, and I really just think it's fucking metalheads suck. Yeah, the nineteen eighties <laughs> like, were bad. <laughs> yeah, the culture, the culture in between, like the eight years, has just turned into such a cesspool of like fame seeking and rebelling against like Reaganism, which is like the lady, the parole officer who talks about metal as being from the devil in this movie. Like all of it just feels so much more extreme and cartoonish compared to the like destitution and art for art's sake nature of the first one where people are self-destructing to play music well. Like even if they're not good at it, like they believe in the scene. Nobody believes in a scene in the metal. Like they they all think they're going to get rich and get a lot of women and that's basically as far as it goes. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's like an incredible expression of the most like repugnant 80s shit in the world because every single person in the movie uh, has no, like doesn't give a fuck about music or anything. They're there. To- they say they do. But they don't. Like, everything they're saying is so empty. Right. They care about making it, whatever making it means. It's, and it's always mm-hmm. very vague, right? It's like, oh, I won't sell out, but I, I, need, I need the fame, I need the money, I need all the girls, uh, because that's what I'm here for. Um, and also, everyone is at war with everyone else at all times. Like, there's a very good sequence early on where everyone's battling to get flyers out because their band's going to be the band and only one band can be left standing at the end. Just the most uh, naked like um yeah no we're not they act like they're rebelling against the man right and they're rebelling against the uh that um hilarious uh woman um who is saying that how metal is really about satan and we are going to de-metal these children in our de-metaling program (laughs) um but the the culture 
of that is like represented in this movie is fully built out of the values of actual Reagan America, right? Like uh everyone is out for themselves. No one even like understands the concept of building friendships or solidarity or how to make yeah. like a community out of this because it's it not a community. Like a community. It's like it's a lot of people in one space in a scene, but it's not a community. Um it's just a lot of people trying to use as many people as possible for their own ends, but not but not looking far enough ahead to understand what that even means. They're just like doing it because it's what you do and what they think they should do. Um mm-hmm. and it's just it's just depressing. But also very funny because they're all so awful. Oh, they're awful. Did you have anything you wanted to add to that, Em? Um, it's the interesting thing to me because uh, the first the first movie is about like a very local scene. It's bands that would eventually like some of them would blow up. Like I've heard of Black Flag, yes. Uh, and but it's generally rel- and also Fear apparently performed at Saturday Night Live. Dusty will have to elucidate on that <laughs> in a second because that's yes, amazing. I will. It's amazing. Uh, because holy shit leaving what a piece of shit when he shows up um and i yell that's the guy from clue (laughs) as he starts saying homophobic shit to the crowd it's um, it's one of the most surreal movie experiences in the world anyway um it's like just a local scene but because the second one is so much later and like she has so much more access and the the band's are like a spectrum you get like odin that's like a shitty local band that sucks that thinks they're gonna make it big right up against like aerosmith talking about they've been doing this forever and they're the influence of two generations of people making music and it ends up feeling so much more distanced from like the the playing like the big bands they have in this don't even perform in the movie like yeah he's not playing shit he's here to like make some eggs and talk about how hard it is to get sober and that's it um and so it just ends up feeling like the culture of the music ends up expanding past the music which is my experience with metal i think of when i think of metal i think of like metalheads way before i think of like the actual music uh and i don't feel that way necessarily about like you know when i think of like the music that's in the first movie like when i think of black flag i'm like oh right i've heard of black flag i've heard their music i know what they're about um and I don't feel that way about these bands because they're not about anything and the culture ends up taking on like an aesthetic of its own that even surpasses like I know about Poison I could not name you a single fucking Poison song. <laughs> That's the thing that kind of blows my mind is she interviews Chris Holmes uh, I think he's the guitarist for Wasp. Yes. And that band was fucking huge the year that movie came out. They were like the biggest band in the world. I could not tell you anything about them. I could tell oh. you that he seemed like a very sad professional wrestler. <laughs> yes. I'm in really his glad. pool float drinking a fifth of vodka. How strong was the professional uh, professional wrestler energy of this movie just in general? Uh, low except for him where okay. it was 150%. <laughs> he had like three bottles of vodka. There's a rumor it might have just been pool water, but you can't really tell. It's but he's upset. also clearly drunk as shit. Yeah. And his mom's there and she's he like weirdly weird. amused and like kind of worried. She's got a mixture of that going on in well, her face. He's he's in a pool float in leather pants and like a leather vest. And his mom just looks like the mom from that 70s show, like sitting at the <laughs> poolside, <laughs> like vaguely concerned, but not going to say anything. Like clearly she has seen him like this too many times to actually comment on it ever anymore. Yeah. Um, 
And it ends up being, like, alarming, but also, like, like, the way that, like, Penelope's, like, just, like, trying to get him to talk and nudging him along, like, this is not an infrequent situation for him. Like, no one's, like, alarmed that he's like this. Yep. And she tries to ask him, like, really deep questions, like, why, what pain are you hiding from? What are you trying to escape from through drinking so much? And he never, ever answers her. He just kind of says, like, these rote, self-destructive things. And then when they, like, interview people who, you know, outwardly say, like, I'll kill myself if I don't make it. Like, they're the ones... I don't know, there's just something interesting to me about that contrast where these guys that aren't famous are all like, yeah, no, I'll just die. Like, there's nothing glamorous about being like Jim Morrison and doing a bunch of drugs, but if I don't make it, I'll die. (laughs) And then seeing Chris Holmes, who hasn't had a drink since 1996, according to everything I tried to look up about this movie. Uh, Yeah, it's just... Oh, by the way, he's still playing music. Tons of music, so... A lot of it's surprising how many of these bands still play music because of this movie, but also how this completely killed a genre. Not one hundred percent this movie. I mean, the culture had to change eventually. The nineties did happen, but like I think the focus on excess really brought us closer to grunge. It accelerated grunge becoming a thing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I mean, like, the, yeah, that was inevitable, right? Because th- was this before mm-hmm. or after Spinal Tap? I don't know how he, exactly the timeline. M asked the same thing, and I'm not exactly sure. Let me look it up. You said Spinal Tap was 83 when we were watching it. Yeah, but that was a guess. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just assumed you knew. Spinal Tap was 84. This was four years after Spinal Tap. This genre was done. <laughs> like... But that's the thing that's crazy, like... Those bands, some of them, like, blew up, like, crazy after the movie, and then some of them just, like, broke up, and then it's, like, they're still, you know, this was residual, like, these, you know, bands are still I mean, very popular by the 90s. They're popular, they, like, keep making money and make, but culturally, like, that seeped into the culture, a combination of the, sometimes the thing just becomes a joke, right? And it still yeah. keeps going. Yeah. No, you're not wrong, I just, I don't know, I think... It lasts longer than the film. I don't think it... Oh, yeah. Necessarily. Yeah. The most, like... I don't know. I don't know for... Okay, let's go around and just talk about, like... Who seemed the least out of place in this movie? Well, define <laughs> out of place. By, by excuse me. Metric? Excuse me. The most out of place. The most out of place. Again, like, by what metric? <laughs> either genre-wise, or just, like, the way they approached, the way they talked about music. Like, well... Go on. I think my answer, I don't know if this is like in the exact spirit of the question, but my answer is that um, one of the best things about this movie is how every five or so minutes uh, it cuts to Lemmy standing on a hill <laughs> who says, <laughs> just in jeans, who says something fairly normal. Like, uh, like everyone will also be talking about the makeup and being like, oh, I like the makeup or like, oh, I like the makeup, but I'm, I'm definitely not a gay. I fuck loads of women all the time. <laughs> And and then someone asked Lemmy, he's like, Lemmy, what do you think of the of the pretty boys in the metal scene? He's like, oh, it's fine. I'm not pretty. Whatever. Go for it, I guess. I don't give a shit. And that's basically <laughs> all of his answers are, yeah, sure. I guess if you more power to you, I'm standing on this hill. I'm Lemmy. <laughs> <laughs> and he just comes off as the only normal person who's ever held a guitar. I guess he holds a bass. Lemmy's a bassist, right? That's Lemmy's... 
Lemmy is a bassist. He's a singer. He's. Well, a... I know he's the front man of Motorhead, but he's the bass. He's got the bass. I was. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, but he comes off as just the most normal guy, and that that is very cool and funny to me. Uh, I think the one that surprised me the most was Paul Stanley, who spends the entire movie <laughs> looking to the ceiling. I I don't know if they like they either filmed like a mirror above his bed or the camera is like suspended above his bed, but he's looking directly up as he's covered in like women who are draped over him in lingerie. He's fully dressed uh, and just giving like faux motivational speeches about positive energy and just getting what you want and living the life in like this very calm quiet voice like it's just fucking zombicom but for the 80s <laughs> and it's 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 mind shattering how weird it is in the middle of these like fucking like 20 year olds who are just talking about like women in the worst ways and how it's fine that everyone they know hates them they're just gonna be best friends and hang out uh there's this amazing bit with the band london who like is introduced with all of the band members that left the band and went on to be successful and then <laughs> this band is just like the, the like loser friends who are ride or die to be in London forever. They're just like, yeah, everything sucks, but this is what we do. This is our job. And they are just the grossest, like worst people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, that Paul Stanley thing is so part of me loves it because uh, like he couldn't not do that and be a little self-aware. Right. Cause like they talked to Gene Simmons too. And he's like, I don't know where the fuck he is. He's like in a clothing store. He's in a lingerie store. Yeah. And there's like just women wearing lingerie, like walking around who clearly work there. And he's just like kind of flirting with them while he's being interviewed. And like that is in itself ridiculous. And then Paul Stanley just kind of ups it just a little more <laughs> with with all the women in the bed and him being like, you can live like this too if you work hard enough. <laughs> right. If you believe in the power of rock and roll, you can have what I have, which is me in this bed with three models that were clearly picked up because I knew I was going to be in front of a camera today. Yep. For uh, me, I feel like Dave Mustaine weirdly stood out. The Megadeth, Megadeth singer. I don't know. I don't... I, Obviously, no, they're like a thrash metal band, but I feel like they're just coming from a completely different artistic and like, uh, I don't know what to say, but like their presence in this movie is weirdly refreshing. Like the fact that the movie ends with them seems like a note of hope for this the genre. Thing, the thing <laughs> it reminds me of is if you ever see uh, like Rob Liefeld in the 90s. Mm -hmm. where like everyone is like the self-important like british comics man you got your alan moores or whatever and then just this fucking like 22 year old frat kid who <laughs> likes drawing big muscle men shows up and doesn't take the job particularly seriously he's just good at the thing he does and it blows up in this way because also megadeth plays at the end and they're the only band that is any good in this entire movie uh <laughs> And it's outrageous uh, how in comparison when he's just like, kind of like whatever, like he, d he does like a brief interview and he seems to not really care that much. And then the band plays, it's like, oh, right. This is a real band, not the rest of these guys. <laughs> right. Because the, the other <laughs> real bands don't play. They just show up and do their interview. Yeah. Um, and the bands they get to play are just the like also rounds that are never going to make it. Well, the other thing that kind of just, to, I, I hate to keep comparing it to the first installment of the decline, but like. 
when women show up in the first film, they're all in bands. You get to see them play. You get to see Alice Bag Band. You get to see fucking Exene from X. Like, they don't seem separate from the scene. They don't seem like accessories. They're like active participants. And the women that they interview who are active participants in this scene aren't the musicians. Like, there's a few women they talk to who have bands, but you don't see their bands. They don't get talked to as musicians. They get talked to as, how do you feel being, like, the accessory to a movement, to a scene? How do you feel being the muse, the financial support system, and the total fucking object of this scene? And I find that very fascinating. I think for me, the difference in the first and second movies is that, like, the first movies are really good. You get a really good sense of a lot of different unshaped tension. Um, like, there's, it's just like a lot of young, alienated people in, in this space. Uh, but it, it doesn't feel like it's been carved yet, right? Because you've got bits where it's like, oh, I'm just kind of, I'm depressed. I don't have any money. The world is shit, falling to shit. And I, this energy has to go somewhere. And you've got, like, actual some people wearing swastikas and stuff. Like, you've got the fascists there who have to eventually be told to fuck off. Like, the the shape of the scene hasn't set in yet. And it's a lot of different energies pushing against each other. Whereas the, the metal scene is set in stone. The power, the power dynamics are, like, cannot be changed, right? <laughs> By the They're time very you get rigid. to that point. And, like, the attitude to women it isn't just like... Because in the first one there's like a lot of shitty attitudes towards women but it's definitely yeah. spread out across in a more interesting unformed way uh whereas it is just regimented in the second one it's just women are there to uh to be fucked and then to be thrown away and made fun of after well, like the misogyny in the in the second movie is so much it's so well, like, over the top there's an entire subplot of the film that's just her chronicling a beauty contest. It has nothing yep. to do with music. It has nothing to do with, like, they're dancing? You don't dance to this music. Not. <laughs> it's not American Bandstand. And then, like, you don't even get to see who wins. Well, you do, but, like, you don't remember her. They say her name at the end of the movie. There's a stinger after the credits where they, like, reveal the winner. And she's not even there. <laughs> she's gone. <laughs> she's gone home with one of the dudes, presumably. It's just really interesting. I don't know. I don't really have anything else to say about it. I just... I don't know, I think a lot of that has to do with editing in the sense of, like, she fucking, Spiris knows what she's trying to say about these guys, yes. and I think a lot of them maybe didn't, like, of course, you know, they, they're into the part of where it's cool to treat women like shit, but I don't think they actually realize how, like, ubiquitous it is, and how pervasive it is. I mean, it's just the air at that point, right? Like, that's just how you mm -hmm. treat women. Oh, I mean, yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's just interesting to see it sort of laid out bare like that. Because you never hear, like, everyone's embarrassed about how they sound. And, like, if you look at anything where they follow up with a lot of these people that show up in this movie, they don't ever ask them about the way they treat women. That never seems to come up. I've, at least I haven't found anything where anybody says, I can't believe I said that weird thing about how... I wouldn't let a girl in the house unless she had groceries. Like, none mm -hmm. of those seem like they were ever examined, and that's really interesting. I mean, I the thing, like, she 
there's a couple times where she does ask people about like do you think like the relationship of rock stars with women is about like you know this transactional thing of they're going to keep them fed Mm -hmm. because the women are in love with like the fame or whatever and then she does turn that around and ask like the women in the scene how they feel about that uh like we don't see every question but there's a lot especially in that second movie of her talking to the person being interviewed um Mm -hmm. as we hear the questions and stuff but i think a lot of this is also like there's a sense to me in the first one anyway that this is like the first movie is a scene that she was a part of and was interested in talking about. And then the second one to me feels like a scene that she is cataloging in like a more removed interest. Mm-hmm. That's definitely true because she saw that these bands were taking over and a lot of the punk venues were closing, uh, you know, near the mid to late 80s. And these like metal bands were coming up and. I don't know what happened, but essentially she got hooked up with um, the Little Miss Sunshine people, Dayton and Ferris, and they, like, picked out the bands and kind of, she didn't have the same amount of creative control, and then, like, could didn't have the kind of, I don't know, essentially, like, she was kind of, you get the sense that this was less about capturing something that she felt a connection to and way more about just being like well this is what's replaced that this is it this is the thing we've built and it's definitely not for me uh i would agree like the tone Mm. of the movie is very very different it is it's entirely different Um, and like there's so many scenes in the first movie to try to like show you how legitimate the artistry of punk rock is like they put the lyrics on the screen and they say like you know these kids aren't just doing this to do this like there's a lot of method to the madness and the acting out and then in the metal movie it's kind of a joke it's all just a joke Uh, yeah i mean it's basically a comedy right like it's Mm -hmm. one of the it is it which i know at this point is true of Every documentary about every metal person ever. I again yeah, need to true, watch that yeah. um, uh, Metallica one. <laughs> deeply, deeply influential. Yep. I mean, she she basically took this and fictionalized it herself, right? Like Wayne's World yeah. exists. Yeah. Good yep. point. Uh, something that other people have pointed out, but like, yeah, it's true. It's like this is just the backbone to Wayne's World. <laughs> I think I think Wayne's World is more kind to metal than this movie is. Definitely, uh, this is true. And I mean, yes. that's kind of that's kind of the style of like these documentaries remind me so much of like uh, what's it called, like Salesman, like the '60s and '70s documentaries, where you just kind of put the camera in front of the people and let them hang themselves with their own rope. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk until they talk themselves into trying to convince a hot tub full of women that if they don't make it they actually will kill themselves who laugh in their face you haven't had a hard day in your life (laughs) yeah all of those women laugh it's very (laughs) funny and like the other i can't remember the other guy in that band but he like side eyes the dude that says it like he really does and then they you know cut to like steven tyler talking about how like oh this pursuit almost killed me and joe like it almost killed us. We d- we shouldn't be together because we're the toxic twins. And Ozzy being like, "Yeah, then you get divorced, and then you go to Betty Ford, and you're bored." And uh, uh, Al- Al- Alice Cooper being like, "Yeah, uh, th- you know, I b- had more people in the crowd that loved me than Kiss, but I was still, you know, throwing up blood from all the fucking drugs and alcohol." <laughs> 
Uh, Alex Cooper, Alex Cooper being on like his set for his performance with like uh, like a noose while he's talking like a youth group leader is the funniest <laughs> thing in the world. Oh, yeah, <laughs> he he definitely reminds me of David Lynch in the sense that he really likes to play up his the contrast of his image of the like cartoonishly goth image and the wholesome kind of demeanor he has. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's very funny. Too bad he's um, but, like a dick, but whatever. <laughs> but the, the the interesting thing here is like you have that scene with that kid in the hot tub where he's like, "Yeah, I just kill myself," and everyone laughs at him. And you have like in the first in the first movie, there's like an extended sequence of Darby Crash who died before the movie came out, who was like the vocalist of the Germs, and he he's like just a kid, like he's he died at 22, and the interview with him is just like. Just, like, someone with, like, clearly, like, depression and issues, like, just getting through it. Like, there's such a lack of artifice to the whole thing um, that reads much more genuine. Like, the kids there seem much more, like, at risk of this sort of thing, but also much chiller about it. Um, they don't... Because they just live it. Like, it's authentic it's, to them it, in a way that it, it doesn't read for these uh, kids in the hot tub. Because it's not in pursuit of those, like, Reagan-era values. It's in pursuit of, like, something... This is going to sound so teenage, but it does seem like it's a little more authentic, right? Well, the, the, like, all the, all the people in the second movie talk about how they're broken shit, but like the, the life they lead and like the things they surround themselves with are not the, the, no one's living in a closet, right? Yes. Like that's something you kept saying as we were watching it, like the guys in the first movie they fucking lived in a closet the black guy lived in a closet <laughs> and the jokes that they were like making about that in the in the first movie that's like they're trying they can't really get jobs they can't really get gigs anymore they're just like living in in these kind of wasted places um and the people in the second movie play that up but it's all in pursuit of like I simply could not conform to your society and get <laughs> and get one of these office jobs, as you call them. That is yeah. not for me. That is for the lesser people. I will escape mm-hmm. and become a metal legend. And everyone but, says that, and no one actually thinks about what that means. Or they'll say, I'm not some loser who's just in it for, like, this shit. I'm in it because I'm also a businessman. I'm in it because I also think I will have investments, and I'm not just a metalhead. I'm, you know, I can be an upstanding member of society, too. It's just very... The, the contrast little... between some of the people being like, um, uh, yeah, no, I'm not... And some of these are the same people, even. Like, like yep. yeah, no, I'm, I'm not going to sell out. I'm in it for the music. I want to be happy. I don't want to be rich. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... I'm in it for rock and roll. And then they'll also say, there's nothing more rock and roll than uh, some investments so you can retire by the time you're 40. And here's my stock portfolio. And it's like, yeah. dude, this is yeah. the least yeah, cool the, thing the, like, that's ever happened. The metalheads have like a young Republican vibe that is just through the entire thing. It's disgusting. Yeah. You, you compare that to like, like uh, in the first movie, there's like they spend a lot of time with the band X, they're, like in their like apartment as yeah. one of the members is giving everyone like stick and poke tattoos. And like, they seem to have it together, but they're all like, you know, the kind of like bohemian art scene people, right? Like that's just their lives. Like they believe in what they're doing and they're getting by as best they can and they're just figuring it out. And it the difference in the culture gap in that pat in the next like, you know, eight years or ten years between these two things is so vast. Yeah, it's the difference between like wanting to comment on the culture and not actually be a part of it, and then coming to this metal thing and it's like no, no, no. The culture is 
capitalism. <laughs> and like the re the rebellion still reflects like the actual culture. Like everyone is like, oh, fuck the man as they quietly store away money to be rich and have a mansion, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's nothing. Fuck more. the Russians. <laughs> he. <tried> <laughs> What is maybe the least cool thing that a human has ever done ever? <laughs> uh, I think it's is it, is it Odin or London? Which one's the is which one's the one that does this? I think yeah. it's the I think it's, it's the London guys, but I don't remember. Uh, I don't remember. They, they, they get out. So they're in the middle of their gig, and then they start going on like, "Yeah, we we are cool and rebellious, and we." I'm gonna stick it to the man right here, and that's what means we're gonna burn the Russian flag because the communists didn't want to come here, and we ain't gonna let them fucking come here. As he gets out this, what was later revealed to be a fireproof Russian flag, <laughs> <laughs> and holds it to a lighter for about thirty seconds, and eventually it does very slightly catch a light before he throws it away, um, and sings a song called "Russian Winter." Uh, but it's fucking terrible. Uh, and it's so funny because it's like, it's 88 at this point. The Cold yeah. War is done. <laughs> like, God, yeah, that's weird. This is after Rocky IV. I, yeah. think, I, think, I think it's over. <laughs> um, <laughs> this isn't good. And it's the least rebellious thing that anyone has ever done, ever. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah, it's really, really funny. But yeah, not a single person in this movie has a favorite song. <laughs> Good point. Like, I, I think the the closest they get to talking about music is um, someone uh, at some point. Stephen Tyler says, uh, a, a, "An Aerosmith song? Now that's a song you can fuck to." <laughs> well, that's the thing. As like, as like. They're rich and they're like the the culture that the rest of the metal guys are supposedly like against. I feel like the all of the old musicians kind of still feel way more genuine about the thing they do, right? Right. Like, yeah. 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 Like when 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 Lemmy and Alice Cooper and everyone talk about like their like great shows that they did, like there's an enthusiasm to that that is real. Uh, they definitely still care. And it's really weird to see the small bands, like, try to posture that they're too cool to care when the, like, big guys are like, no, of course that's important. That's why we did this to ourselves. I mean, yeah, like, I wasn't in a metal scene, but I hang out around guys in bands for, I was in a band for a bit as a teen, and there's absolutely more people who just want to be in bands for the, like, accoutrements of the culture uh, because mm -hmm. it's cool because people want to fuck you and literally do not care about music beyond that. Just like, I've learned to play guitar, so everyone's going to cheer at me and don't actually think about what writing songs might mean. Yeah. But you get like, uh, you know, like Steven Tyler's there on like his like recovery self, right? Like, yes. he's like, I, I gotta keep, like, I could totally just sit and be rich forever, but I'm going to keep doing this and I'm going to try to do this in a healthier way and not die. Yeah. Seems to be working out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's still trucking. You yeah. know, that's one thing I couldn't help but do. Like, the punk bands, it's really sad. They all just kind of either self-destruct or, you know, they just break up shortly after. This movie, I'm like, you know, they kind of, they do reunion tours now, or this band still tours? That's, like, one thing I couldn't say about the first movie. <laughs> interesting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. Uh, <laughs> I have absolutely, like, less than zero affection for any of the music in the movie. Um... 
I Ditto. think it's all very bad. Like, you know, the music is bad when I'm like, oh yeah, Megadeth. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. Like, I, Megadeth is a band I entirely know through. I like their songs in rock band. <laughs> I don't. I really do not like thrash metal. I'm anti-thrash metal. It's the only metal I like. <laughs> I like Slayer. I, I don't really like Megadeth. I I will fucking listen to Metallica right fucking now. The opinion on Anthrax. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but no, I've I've always hated, hated thrash metal, and then in this this band, the thrash metal comes along, and you're like, uh, this movie, the thrash metal comes along, and you're like, oh, this is alright, <laughs> much better yeah. than the fucking terrible glam metal um, that's going around. It does remind me that there was actually a time, there was a real time on on this planet, on the planet we live upon, that the band Kiss was considered subversive by anyone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what the hell's up with that? Kiss. Yeah, it's baffling. It is. There's a reason the third movie is literally her following homeless youth who play crust punk. Yep. It's such a sharp turn. I haven't seen it yet, but I expect it's just going to be really bleak in comparison. Um, Almost certainly. Mm-hmm. Then we have any more any more takes on the decline of Western civilization part two? I feel like we've had a good discussion. Uh, no, uh, Destiny. Do you want to talk a little bit about uh, what's his face on oh, Saturday, yeah, Saturday Night Live? Life. Okay, so at some point, John Belushi was like, "I'm into fucking punk right now." <laughs> of course he was. Fucking of course he was. He went. I think he went punk, and then he went blues. I don't actually remember which king, one came first. King, 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 king. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> uh blues brothers came out in 1980 and the saturday night live appearance is 81 so i assume oh. belushi was over it by then okay so definitely okay so first he was blues then he went punk okay so the band fear he saw them in this movie and he was like oh shit this this is like amazing <laughs> <laughs> And this is the band, for the record, if you didn't watch the first movie, that almost in start, like starts a riot by like hurling homophobic slurs at the audience and then saying, what? Well, I love gay people every time they like get mad. Yep. And then, like, are they the same ones that beat up that girl? Uh, I don't remember. I think, so. There's a, I think so. There's a very prominent girl in those shots that's, like, not having it. Yeah, she, like, keeps getting up to try to, like, hit him, and then he, like, pushes her by her face like really aggressively like it's really kind of uncomfortable yes um <laughs> so anyway john belushi saw the movie and was like oh my god please can fear be on saturday night live so on the halloween episode of 1981 this is after belushi has left snl by the way oh even better he's yeah he's been off of uh <laughs> snl for Oh, I don't know. Sometime. And he's like a year away from dying. So anyway, he wanted them to like do a soundtrack and they were like, no, but they were like, okay, since we wouldn't let you use them in your movie, we'll put them on TV. So <laughs> they had a group of slam dancers that included minor threat members, Fugazi members, just like this is like, you know, it's a scene. The scene is in the room. And 
The show's director originally wanted to prevent the dancers from participating, so Belushi offered to be in the episode if the dancers were allowed to stay. And the result was... Okay, they open their second song by saying, it's great to be in New Jersey. So then the audience starts fucking booing them. (laughs) And... There's a riot. Like, it's on screen. Like, the the show, it cuts to commercial when they're starting to destroy the fucking set. And I think they played, like, four songs. They ended with Let's Have a War. It goes to commercial. Um, and they there were pumpkins on the set. And they, like, broke a piano and, like, destroyed these pumpkins. And it was, like, $20,000 in damage. And just, like... <laughs> it was actually, like, way more money than that. But anyway... Uh... It was uh, <laughs> just notorious. It, and they hadn't even released their debut album yet. That's, that's the part that blows my mind. That's really funny because, like, uh, <laughs> in, the, in the movie, they have to spend at least, like, ten minutes really, really going deep into some awful homophobic shit to get a response from this jaded punk audience. Mm-hmm. Saturday Night Live. Three lines. Hey, sup, New Jersey? Fuck you! How dare you! That is <laughs> Just, like, America. fucking playing a game on easy mode. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that uh, I kept doing, because I'm a nerd, is I kept turning to M during the first film and just being like, so, on the East Coast, <laughs> punk rockers actually liked gay people, and a lot of them were gay and trans and, like, you know, they influenced the punk scene and it was a lot more, it wasn't less misogynistic or homophobic, but it definitely was artsier and less about embracing sort of being offensive as a response to the world. Yes. I mean, this is this is the same thing that happens in hip hop, right? Like the East Coasters have social consciousness. The West Coasters are in like a suburban hellscape and just act out. Yep. It is the exact same thing. Like the difference between like the fucking CBGBs, even like the Ramones, like Dee Dee Ramones fucking sucking dick for heroin. <laughs> and like, <laughs> you know, the fear guys aren't going to touch that. <laughs> yep. I know it was like because I did you know, just knowing about the history of some bands. I know there was like still some of that in some of like California punk scenes, uh, West Coast punk scenes, but it was nowhere near as much as in the East Coast, right? Because mm-hmm. um, I was surprised at how little of it. Like it was, I was surprised at how weirdly misogynist the first um, movie was because I knew that's a part of these uh, these scenes, but I expected more like disaffected queerness. Um, but uh, there was basically none in that uh, in that first movie. It's definitely more. I mean, like I don't like. I'm sure it existed, and there, there obviously yes. were games, that, bands that came up. But like, if you just went off of just knowing what you know from like, kind of what survived in like stories and pop culture, yeah, the East Coast just seems way gayer, way more feminine, and revels in it in a way that like. Like, even in the metal movie, I think, don't the New York Dolls come up? They talk about how... Yeah, go on, sorry. Oh, like, the movie also, like, just because it's glam metal is about bands that have appropriated signifiers of, like, queerness and gender transgression, but in the most, like, thoughtless, this is just the posturing fashion of the time way, right? Yes. It's it's, it's all show. It's really interesting, um what that movie like does with gender and how it portrays that scene because it basically makes 
having sex with a million women a day seem like the gayest thing on earth. Uh, <laughs> like there's very like the energy rating of the Paul Stanley surrounded on a bed by women. It's fucking gay. I'm sorry. That's what it is. <laughs> and they don't like. The, the, it's funny because the 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 people don't understand. Like, there's a couple. There's actually a couple of people who they they get into when they talk about some of the transgressive stuff who clearly are actually more part of a more knowingly queer side of this. Um, mm-hmm. And that's cool, but there is a lot of it who are just like, yeah, no, the people yell at me when I have the long hair and the makeup, but I'm I'm straight as fuck. I fuck women. Uh, it's just that that uh, Jane Silent Bob scene where he's standing outside the um, the 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 store going, "I love pussy." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's yeah, and it's very people very defensive about that all the time. It just makes it seem like sex isn't real. That's my. I think <laughs> this is the this movie settles it. No one's ever had sex. Everyone sounds like they are uh, my friend uh, Imogen in school who told me that his dad had beaten Pete Sampras at tennis. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I don't get this. I don't actually agree, but this is. I think this is a very interesting take. In what way? I think sex is very real to these people. To a detrimental degree i think the oh, pleasure just, seeking is gone mm-hmm. i just mean that like the the sheer extremity with like they're all going on but now i've been i'm just always always fucking girls all i do oh. i'm a machine of i'll fuck five girls right now it's like come on yeah come yeah. down mate. It's, it's overcompensating right. but i i i do think that like yeah it's i don't know it, it's just the first movie is not about sex in the mm-hmm. same way that, like like you said, all that stuff is still there, but it's just not. I don't understand how it just got so pervasive. Oh. Uh, is that it then? I think that might be it. Uh, well, me and Destiny will definitely watch the third movie before next time we record, so we'll probably have a short follow up about how we feel about that. Yep. Yeah. Um, I'm curious. I'm excited to get back to uh, Depression? the kids being very sad. Yes, <laughs> but yeah. really believing in the thing they're doing. Uh, anyway, uh, that's it. We have a we have a one question. If you want to send questions about the movies we watch or any movie really, uh, you can send them to podcastabnormalmapping.com. Uh, we have one question from Sniper Serpent. Uh, do any of you enjoy musical theater? And if so, what are your favorites? And what movie musicals would you recommend? Jackson, as a noted lover of musical theater, <laughs> what? please go first. I don't have any good answers here. My sister is really, really into musical theater. That's why you got called out. <laughs> I know. So I, I am, have like experience with a lot of it, but I'm not really into that much of it. You know, I listen to a lot of Rent as a teenager. Me, I listen I'm, to a lot of rent in my twenties. I'm, so. I'm told that's not the done thing these days. No. <laughs> Destiny. Oh, I like a lot of musicals. Like, what was the question again? Do you like musical theater? What's your favorites? What movie musicals would you recommend? Cabaret. Cabaret's uh good. West Side Story. West Side Story is good. Um. I love so many of them. On the Town. I haven't seen On the Town. That's pretty good. Um, I don't know. I'll, like anything that. Oh, Singing in the Rain. 
anything by Gene Kelly. I also like Anchors Away and Summerstock. Mm -hmm. American in Paris, also pretty good. Just, you know, all around. Um, Mamma Mia, everyone needs to watch Mamma yes. Mia. Holy shit, you want a good time. I think it's weird how much I love Mamma Mia, but how much I dislike Baz Luhrmann's uh, Moulin Rouge. Uh, that's because there's nothing about Moulin Rouge that suggests the people in it are having fun. And <laughs> Mamma Mia is like, clearly everyone there was having the time of their lives. Yes, I think that is a big, big factor. I like Chicago. I know that's like a super passe, like everyone likes Chicago, but I like Chicago. I like a lot of musicals. I don't know. That's a genre I've always loved. It's just near and dear to me. I like Phantom of the Opera. Any version, like stage mm -hmm. show, preferably, I guess. But I don't think that movie is as bad as everyone else does. I um, still like Hamilton. Like, I will listen to Hamilton and just have a good time. Yeah, you just don't think about Lin-Manuel Miranda ever. And no, fun. no. But musically, it's a lot of fun. It's kind of remarkable, actually. <laughs> Uh, I like uh, I like Jesus Christ Superstar, you know, just all the obvious ones that everyone likes. I feel like watch Head. Head's great. Oh, Head, kind of oh, kind of head. a different kind of musical, but it's good. It's very good. <laughs> oh, Dancer in the Dark. Dancer in the Dark's good. Lars von Trier is you horrible, want a bad time. <laughs> Dancer yeah. in the Dark. Woo, Dancer in the Dark. Uh, but that's what I've got. Uh, I think that's it for questions. Yeah, we only had the one. Uh, next time, I decided in honor of the new movie everyone's already sick of before a month before it comes out, Joker, we're going to watch The King of Comedy. Yay! Uh, which is the 1982 Scorsese film. You can get that in the U.S. streaming on Prime Video, or you can just rent it everywhere. You know how that goes. Uh, yep, you can rent that everywhere. Let's go see if that is anywhere on the thing. As I, um, that's on Prime Video here. So yeah, there you go. There you go. But it's also rent everywhere. You know, it's it's an available movie. It's a Scorsese film. Yeah, watch this instead of that fucking Joker movie. Jesus Christ! Uh, and we'll it's be not talking out. about that in two It weeks. won't even be out by the time we do our next podcast. I know. I know. I know. Uh, Anyway, that'll be fun. I like that movie a lot, and Jackson Destiny, I haven't seen it, so I yeah, I'm really like excited. I like Scorsese a lot so far of what I've seen. Yeah, so I hope. Uh, it's one of my favorites. So nice. I love movies uh, about comedians because I'm a cliche. <laughs> I'm very, plug very excited. Zone Destiny plugs at Fridge Buzz now, pretty much everywhere. Okay, uh, Jackson plugs. I am at Headfuls Off on Twitter. You can find other podcasts we do at abnormalmapping.com, including some new movie podcasts uh, that we're mentioning every time. Uh, I do uh, Never Say Podcast Again, a James Bond podcast with Dee Lucina, and um, you do uh, And Then an Aeroplane, a Ghibli rewatch podcast with our friend Autumn. Yeah. Uh, the most recent podcast for that would have been our Nausicaa podcast, so please look forward to that. Uh, this is going up on Monday, so if you listen to this right away and you want to write in about Castle in the Sky, we're recording that in two days. So please send us messages, like emails and questions. Um, 
That'll be fun. Uh, otherwise, if you would like to listen to all the other podcasts at normalmapping.com, if you would like to support our network, keep the lights on, all of us fed and clothed, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash normalmapping. For $1 a month, you get our, I guess, biggest podcast, The Great Gundam Project, where me and Jackson watch two episodes of Gundam and some other animes uh, <laughs> every week. We are currently uh, about to watch Macross 2 Lovers Again. Um, which we don't know anything about because we haven't watched it yet. Uh, so look forward to that. Uh, we're coming up on G Gundam, which is the one where they're all in a big tournament, and I'm sure that's going to be dumb. Um, and uh, that's it. I Oh, you can find me on Twitter at EM underscore being. Um, yes. And until next time. Don't expect to like him. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Bye.